Amen, right? Enjoying the weekend and the barbecues and the, the nice weather. That heat yesterday was a little bit hot, so I'm glad we had a graduation party for McKenna that was indoor and outdoor. I elected to stay indoor. But uh, it was a wonderful graduation party, and uh, so it's, uh, it's great to be able to uh, just uh, celebrate with all of our graduates, right? And to encourage them as they start to take this next step in their, this, you know, this journey of life. And so I'm uh, just was happy to, uh, that I could be there yesterday with them and many of the saints. And so as we think about today's lesson, uh, it's not a series in, in the sense that of what I'm going to preach on today, but it kind of goes hand in hand with what I have been preaching. If you guys remember, uh, uh, in the three of the last uh, four weeks we were talking about uh, God in his fleshly state, his, uh, or his pre-fleshly state, meaning Jesus, uh, his fleshly state here on earth, his uh, life and ministry, but then his glorified state. So we spent a few weeks looking at Jesus Christ in, through that lens. Uh, last week we started to talk about baptism. Why is it necessary? But in baptism, we know what the scriptures teach, but we also know what the world teaches, what Christendom teaches. And so we looked at three different aspects last week. We looked at the antitype. Uh, meaning that when you go back to 1 Peter 3 and 21, where baptism now saves us, we also looked at verse 20, and it's, the antitype was the comparison, the correlation between the waters of the flood and how the eight souls were saved through water, and likewise we too are saved through water. But we also looked at uh, the, the method, we looked at the purpose, and today we're going to take these, uh, these studies and these thought processes one step further in the sense that uh, what is our God-given purpose? This was something that uh, Randy was doing some reading here recently, and he asked me if I would take a look at the stuff that he uh, had given me and asked me if I could put together a lesson. And it kind of goes hand in hand with a little bit of what I've been talking about here recently. And so today's lesson is a God-given purpose. What does it mean to have a God-given purpose? Do we feel like in this life that we have purpose? What happens when an individual has no purpose? What happens when you, don't f you wake up in the morning without a purpose? without a goal, without a mission, without uh, something to do, something to achieve. You begin to kind of just kind of uh, loathe. You begin to become depressed. You, kind of, you, you start to kind of seclude yourself because uh, depression really starts to set in. And so having a purpose is critical. And as Christians in the Lord's Church, do we have a purpose? And if we have a purpose, what is the purpose? And if you don't know what the purpose is, why don't you know what the purpose is? And so we need to make sure that we always study to show ourselves approved. We're ready in season and out of season to preach, to, uh, to teach, to exhort with long patience and suffering. And so today we're going to look at what is the purpose of the church. And the reason why it's important is because man uh, has many false ideas as to uh, what the church is, what our purpose is, and what the, what the Holy Word teaches. And so as we look at these false ideas here this morning, here's just a sampling of some of the false ideas that you'll hear about the church and our purpose, or, the, or even our beliefs, if you will. Some will teach, it doesn't matter if I'm baptized, as long as I confess faith in Christ, I'll be saved. Some will teach, it doesn't matter how I worship, as long as I'm worshiping, God will accept that. Some will teach, it doesn't matter how I live. As long as the Bible does not specifically forbid my actions, well, then I, I guess it should be acceptable in God's eyes. Some will teach, it doesn't matter what I believe. So long as I'm a good person, God will not send me to hell. There are those in Christendom that teach that it doesn't matter the church that I go to, as long as I'm a Christian, I'll be saved. It doesn't matter what the idea of a Christian is, God will be happy with me. 
Some are those who teach, it doesn't matter if I'm active in my local church, just so long as I attend worship service on a consistent basis, then surely the Lord will be pleased with me. You see, there are many uh, uh, things that are taught, right, in Christendom that are really uh, contrary to what we see in Holy Writ. And so the list, you know, I just gave you a sampling of it, but the list can really go on and on about things that could be said. And if you go back and you study out the history of the church, we know that uh, through about the early 1500s that uh, the church had totally gone apostate. It was astray. There were some factions uh, that were still, uh, were still representative of the first century church. But as a whole, Christendom had gone astray. And there was a thing called the Reformation. Do you guys remember hearing about the Reformation? The Reformation took place in about the, uh, it, 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 in about the 1500s. It spread across Europe. And as it spread across Europe, there were men like Zwing, uh, Zwingli, uh, Lutheran, uh, Kelvin, and other, that's just to name a few, but there were other men as well who started a reformation. And the reformation was to reform the church, the Catholic church, because of all of the error that was being taught in Christendom. And so that is known as the reformation that through the 1500s had swept through the European continents. But now today here in the 21st century and going back really the last couple hundred years, we are now in, in the midst of what we call what? A restoration. There's a reformation and now we're in a restoration. There are men that you could look back uh, to that we're, we're trying to restore the Lord's church as well. But what are we trying to restore the Lord's ch uh, church to? to a previous time to where other men had better ideas? No, we're trying to restore the church back to the example that we have in Holy Writ. We go back to the first century uh, apostles. We go back to the infancy of the church. We study to show ourselves approved. We looked at what scripture teaches as to worship, as to benevolence, as to evangelism, as to teaching, as to well, what was the purpose of the church? Did God ever give the church a mission statement? Don't we have some verses in the Bible that we call the Great Commission? Why do they call it the Great Commission? Because we have a purpose. God has given us a commission. And there's times there where I like how Randy often says it. Randy will often say, does God make mistakes? And it's such an important question to consider because it's a great and logical question. Because the scriptures are very easy to understand and to grasp if you are able to then remove all of the man-made doctrine, all of the man-made error and teachings, if you can remove that from your mind, is it hard to understand that baptism is a part of God's scheme for redemption? If you remove all the man-made teachings, is it hard to understand that God's plan for leadership structure of the church? No. If you remove the man-made teachings, God's leadership structure for the church becomes uh, painfully obvious. If you remove all of man-made teachings, it would be, uh, it's not hard to understand the various types and acts of worship. Why do we have instruments versus singing? Because of the thoughts and the uh, imaginations of man. Because we want what we want and we want how we want it. I think it's like a Burger King commercial or something, right? And so we want to do what we want to do. Instead of just simply reading the word of God, looking to understand his will, and doing what God would require of us. Why? Because he's God. And he created us. So doesn't the, clay, doesn't the potter get to say to the clay in the, in, the, in the form in which he's going to mold it? Or does the clay get to dictate to the potter what will be acceptable to it? Do you see how silly that analogy would be, right? 
And so there is only confusion because mankind has muddied the waters, has muddied our minds by adding and subtracting from the will of God throughout the last 2,000 years. And so we have made it an art of adding and subtracting in the Lord's Church as well as throughout denominations. Why? Because we're constantly striving to uh, make the church to be an extension of what's acceptable to current society and culture. Well, the problem with that is then you'll never be able to have any type of consistency of worship or understanding because with every culture, with every society, does it, don't the times change? Doesn't society and culture change as to what's allowable and or acceptable? If you were to look at some, of the, uh, some words today like submission and other words, they're considered nasty, ugly words. But just three, four decades ago, they weren't considered nasty, ugly words in the realm of the church. And so we look at what the word of God has to say. When it comes to church membership, for example, people often speak of joining a church. Do they not? Uh, many of your uh, TV evangelists will say, just find a, find a, a Bible-based church and, and go and join that church. But that is not how church membership works. Well, what do I mean by that? Can a student say... I think I'm going to go today and join the National Honor Society. Can a baseball player say, I think today I'm going to join the all-star team uh, in, in the league in which I play? No, you cannot join the Honor Society or the all-star team. The student and the player must qualify for those uh, organizations, and they then must be invited into the organization. And so in like manner, an alien sinner can't just say, I think I'm going to become a Christian today and just become a Christian. But make no necessary changes, not be invited, and not do what he's supposed to do to qualify to become a saint, right? And so Acts 2 and 47, we look on the screen behind me, and the scriptures tell us in Acts 2 and 47. Jim, if you could hit that slide, for some reason it's not going. Acts 2 and 47 tells us the Lord was adding to their, meaning the church, adding to their number day by day. Who? Those who were being saved. Well, they were being saved because they, they heard the word of God, Acts uh, 10 and 17, or Romans 10 and 17. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. And once they heard the word, they determined they believed it. And when they believed it, their hearts were pricked. And when their hearts were pricked, they repented and were baptized for the remission of their sins. And it was at that time that the Lord had taken them and added them to the kingdom of God, known as the church. And so, brethren, we know that there's a plan of salvation. We know that God is the, God is the, the author of this plan. And so as we go back and we think about Randy's question, Randy's question is, does God make mistakes? And it's so important that we understand that why that question is, uh, is crucial, right? If someone can be saved outside of the church, then that means they can be saved outside of Christ. But yet that belief is then contrary to Scripture. So then can that alien sinner become a member of the Lord's church, even though they're outside the church and outside of Christ? Last time I checked, when you study the Scriptures, you have to be in Christ to be in the church. And so we look at this information here this morning. We ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the church? And to be in Christ, brethren, I look at another passage of Scripture. Notice what it talks about in regards to the body, to the church. And so it says in Ephesians 1, in 22 and 23, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is what? His body. So the church and the body are one and the same. So the body is an antitype, right, of the church. 
It's a comparison of one or a pattern of things that we have. And so you see that the church and the body are the fullness of him who fits all in all. Brethren, no one joins a church or is voted on to be added to a congregation. Because that's another misconception. Is that you, you're, you're baptized, right? Because you're already saved. And so you're just doing something that scripture says because of an interchange that had already taken place on the inside. So you're already saved through your belief and your faith. But you're not saved through baptism. Baptism is just something you do to join the local congregation. And that's what many individuals teach. And we know that to be contrary to Scripture. We could show you the Scriptures. Actually, I just did show you the Scriptures last week as to why that would be contrary. And so, brothers and sisters, for the church to flourish and for the church to grow as it should, each of us has to have a purpose. We have to understand that purpose, and we have to ask ourselves, what do I need to do to, in order to make sure that I am trying to doing the best I can to fulfill my purpose, my God-given purpose? Hasn't God given each and every one of us various talents and gifts? And how are we supposed to use those talents and gifts? For the betterment of our lives so we could have more material things? Or do we use the talents and gifts that God has given us to the furtherance of the kingdom? To bring about God's will here on earth? You see, brethren, it is, it is absolutely in line with Scripture to understand that we do certain things, yes, because we obey God, but we do certain things for the benefit of the kingdom. Think about these questions here for a moment, because as I said a minute ago, uh, really purpose is critical. Uh, it's, it's, it's critical in our lives, and it's especially true in the spirit realm. Think about this. Why do we give liberally to the Lord? If you think about that question, why we give liberally to the Lord? Is it to obey God? Well, yes, we give liberally and with a generous heart because we obey God and the scriptures. But it's also one of the ways that we effectively carry out evangelism. It's one of the ways that we support missionaries. It's one of the ways that we support our worship services and our benevolence and our teachings and so many other things that can be added into why we give faithfully and generously unto the Lord. Why do we strive to get the message into all the world? Is it to obey God because Jesus said to take the message out into all the world? Well, yes, it's to obey God, but it's also because we want, to, we want all who are unsaved to hear the, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We want all men to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it starts with the gospel. And so you go out and you take the gospel to all mankind with love and gentleness. And, and we do so because hopefully we love our neighbor as ourselves. We love God first and foremost with all our hearts, our mind, and our soul, but we love our neighbors to the, to the extent that we want to make sure that they have an opportunity at salvation. And so, yes, we do certain things to obey God, but we also do other things in order to make sure that God's will is done. Why do we go to Bible classes? Why do we go to worship services? Why are we assembled here this morning on the Lord's Day? Is it to obey God? Well, yes, it's to obey God, but that's not it. It's also because this is God's way of preparing his great servants to go out into the mission field of the world to take the message, to teach and to preach. Where do you continue to grow? Hopefully it's at home as well, but we come uh, amongst the saints to worship and to uh, have Bible study and to edify one another, to encourage one another, to teach one another. And so then we take this information out into the world. We think of another question. Why are we supposed to fellowship outside of the church? 
Why are we supposed to a fellowship outside of the, uh, the times that the elders have set in place for Bible study and for worship services? Isn't it to obey God? Well, yeah, we do those things to obey God. But don't we also do them to become of one mind, one heart, one family, one body, a true one body in the sense that we don't just look at each other as, oh, yeah, Tony and Gina are a member of our congregation. No, they're a member of our family. And in, in, in such being a member of our family, we should want to fellowship with one another. We should want to get into each other's homes. Because the church, if it's going to grow, as Bob Benham said, it's going to grow outside of this building. And I love that Tyler in our last elders deacons meeting remembered what his grandfather said. But then I quickly reminded him, I said, I say that all the time. You never, uh, you never attribute it to me. And he says, well, grandfather takes a little bit more precedence. And I tease because grandfather should take more precedence, right? Because what he says is a factually true statement. For the church to flourish and to grow, it's not going to be for the two hours that you spend here on a Wednesday and a Sunday. For the church to flourish and to grow and to build deeper, stronger connections and relationships, it has to be outside of this building. It has to be with us interacting and, and, and getting together, uh, fellowshipping, breaking bread together, uh, celebrating together as we did for McKenna yesterday and other of the, uh, other of the graduates in the, in the previous weeks and months. Brethren, we need to do things like this on a regular basis because we obey God. Brethren, the church needs to remain the church that God created in Christ and not some man-made institution that's going to look to accomplish his purposes that set purposes in place that are foreign to the mission of God. You see, if we just stick to the simple gospel mission, the simple mission that God has given us, then we make sure that teaching and evangelism is first and foremost on our minds. And then while you're evangelizing, while you're teaching, then guess what? You could do benevolent type works. You could encourage and love all at the same time. But it begins and ends with helping people to transform their minds out of worldliness and into, uh, and into godliness. I think about what uh, it says in 2 John in chapter 9. And the scriptures tell us, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. What is really the crux of that simple verse? That you have to remain, uh, uh, you have to remain faithful unto the word of God. For one who abides in the teachings of Christ has God. Is that difficult to understand? Brethren, the church was never designed to be a social club because there's many of those in Christendom and even some in the Lord's church that want to turn the church into a social club. They want to turn it into an entertainment center, but the entertainment center doesn't really offer any great satisfaction for the soul. It may, it may, it may uh, satisfy you in the sense that I'm lonely and so it gives me an opportunity to maybe fellowship, but it's not a social club because it doesn't offer the profitability of of true spiritual fellowship. You see, brethren, it is not a place that satisfies false, uh, false pride or false egos of men, but offers opportunity to become great in God's eyes. Well, as Christians, how do we become great in God's eyes? We do the things that God requires of us. We fulfill the will of God here on earth as his messengers, as his representatives. And so we can affect change in our communities by becoming who Christ calls us to be by being loving, by being kind, by being uh, compassionate and merciful. 
and, and, and forgiving. If we have the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit and we make those our attributes, then people are going to want to spend time with us. Who doesn't love to be around people who are fun-loving, kind, and merciful, and compassionate? I mean, don't you love to be around people like that? Or would you rather be around somebody who complains all the time, who, who just is miserable, and who's just, just, you know, they're just always negative? I mean, would you rather be around that person? I often say, hey, do your best to encourage them and run. Like, encourage and run. Because they will bring you down. They're going to pull you down faster than you would believe. So, brethren, we look at the purpose of the church here this morning. Purpose gives us direction. It gives the church direction so we could stay on target. So we could hear the, uh, we could hear the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well done, my faithful, uh, my good and faithful servant. You go back and you look at the first opening chapters of Revelation. And you look at the letter to the seven churches. Did Jesus, was he, was he just praising each and every one of them for their faithfulness unto God? Or was he warning them that their lampstand was about to be removed unless they removed back to their first love, right? What does it mean to then go back to your first love? To love God and the kingdom and the church with a sacrificial type of love. You remember when you first fell in love with the, who, who here had the first love of your life that maybe wasn't your spouse, right? And you would have done anything for them. Even though everybody else could see all the warning signs, you're just in, in, in a, in a, in a bliss-filled love, right? And you just would do anything for them. That's how God wants us to think of the church. That because of the great love that we have for God, that there's nothing that I wouldn't do to bring myself into subjection to God, to subjection to his will, because of, all of, because of the greatness of who he is and what he has done for us, brethren. So man was created, and we know this, with both physical and spiritual needs. And where can we fulfill those physical and spiritual needs? Well, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus tells us, but he answered and said to them, It is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, it's not just about a, a, a physically filling your belly, but we need to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think about Psalm 42 and verse 1 and 2 where the scriptures tell us, As the deer pants for the, waters brook, for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Brethren, you look at these passages of Scripture, we know that man has both physical and spiritual needs, and we fulfill those physical and spiritual needs within the confines of our faith. When we truly understand what, God, what is expected of us from God. You know, it's important that we understand as Christians what our purpose is. And so as we get ready to just kind of look at a few things before we close this down, I want you to understand that our purpose, first and foremost, is evangelism. Why do I say that? Because that's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? I mean, I know you don't all have to answer it, but how do you make a disciple? Think about it for a second. Don't you have to go and hey, first seek out somebody but then you have to then teach them the oracles of God. How can you make a, a disciple if you don't seek somebody out and then teach them the oracles of God? So evangelism is first and foremost. So we have truth and we have teaching. And that truth and teaching gives principles, gives us the principles that we are to live by. Evangelism gives us the purpose in which we live for. 
Worship gives us the motivation to continue to live on no matter the storms of life because we worship God and we remember each and every Lord's Day what Jesus Christ had done for us. Do this in remembrance of me, it says on the front of our table. Do what in remembrance of me? Remember my life. Remember my sacrifice. And partake of the Lord's Supper to remember what I did for you. Brethren, fellowship gives us godly people fellow godly people, people of like mind to, 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 uh, to commune with, to worship with, to live alongside, to fellowship alongside, to play alongside, right? To spend quality time together. Isn't that what Acts 2, 40, about 1, 42 through 47 actually teaches? That they spend time together constantly doing what? Breaking bread, fellowshipping from house to house, worshiping, praying, uh, doing all that was uh, required of them according to the apostles' doctrine. And they were selling possessions and giving to each other as, as they would have need. And so there was literally a community of believers that had become of one mind, one heart, one family. And they were one family in God. Brethren, we think of service. Service gives us the opportunity to give of ourselves. As Christians, our part of our purpose is to give of ourselves sacrificially. That is what it means to have agape type of love. Agape type of love is how you can actually love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? And so you think about this. It gives us an opportunity to give of ourselves because we understand that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, as we learn in Scripture. And so remember, the blessed are those who are fulfilling God's purposes in their lives. You know, you think about your, your faith as a Christian. And as Christians, when, when we have a purpose, it drives us, and we have less frustrations in our lives. Because if you have a purpose, you're less frustrated because you're focused. And when you start to lose your focus, and you start to no longer have, uh, you start to kind of lose your way, then all of a sudden frustration begins to set in. But if you have a goal, you have a purpose, you have a mission, and you remain focused, brethren, then the frustrations don't seem to mount up as quickly because you don't get caught up in the weeds of life. You don't minor in the, you don't, what do they say, you don't major in the minor things of life? Why? Because I'm focused on my purpose that God has given me. And without a clear mission, brethren, without a clear mission that we won't accomplish the things that God has desired for us to accomplish will be like the one talent man who buried our talent. But if we know our mission, we know our purpose, we'll be like the multi-talented man who then went and invested his talents and used his talents to create more talents. And so God was pleased with them when he returned. You think about the scriptures this morning. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. The scriptures tell us, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. You see, when it talks about where there is no vision, where there is no mission, where there is no purpose, the people are unrestrained. And if they're unrestrained, they are unhappy and frustration begins to set in. Brethren, God gives the mission, he gives the purpose and in, and in turn, we understand that as we look to build the morale, our personal morale and the morale of the church, it's, it's all of us being focused and moving in the same direction. A congregation or an organization that is not focused and is moving in different directions and doing all different things, but there's no really set priority as to what the goal or the mission of the, of the community or the organization or the church or the company is, there ends up being failure and dysfunction. 
In order to have, uh, to, in order to properly do what God calls us to do, we need to stay focused on the mission and stay focused on what He calls us to do, and not trying to be all things to all people. You know why some congregations never accomplish much? They want to be all things to all people. And if you don't have enough people to be all things to all people, guess what happens? Your people get burnt out. And as they get burnt out, they start to pull back. And they pull back from ministry. They pull back from evangelism. They pull back from benevolence. Why? Because I'm tired. How many of us here don't work many hours a week? And then you have to deal with your kids, and then you have to deal with all the, all the activities that the kids are involved in, and all my hobbies. And, you know, when do I get time for me? Oh, and then I got this God thing I got to do, right? And I have to be involved in the church, and the church has expectations, and God has expectations. You see, brethren, we need to make sure that we're not trying to be all things to all people, and your children don't need to be involved in every activity that is possible to man. It's okay to say no to your children. It's okay to not be involved in every aspect of every ministry. We need to use the talents, the gifts that God has given us to the furtherance of the kingdom. And sometimes we need to say no. Sometimes as preachers, we say no. We have to say no for our own sanity and for our own mental well-being so we don't get burnt out. And so we look at this, brethren. We understand that we have a purpose, we have a mission, God has given us a plan, we stick to the plan and not try to be all things to all people. A purpose-focused church will use our energy, will use our resources, the kingdom will grow, the congregation will flourish because all of us are collectively doing our parts. That is what causes growth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, the scriptures tell us, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. And we do all to the glory of God. It starts with the Great Commission. It starts with going out and making disciples, teaching and preaching the word of God. And along the way, you show the love of God through benevolence. You, you show the love of God by being compassionate and kind. I think about what the Great Commission says in Matthew 28. I know most of us have seen this a thousand times, but maybe you're here today and you're not really sure what Matthew 28 says. Jesus tells us in 18 through 20, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go therefore and make disciples. You, don't forget that word make. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It doesn't say teaching them to observe all that man has commanded you. And that is why Jesus rebuked the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes often. He rebuked them because they were more concerned with keeping the traditions of their elders than they were with keeping God's word. And so, in the end, we make disciples by teaching them to obey all that God has commanded them. Brethren, as I close this down, if your faith today, if you're here today and your faith is feeling empty, if you feel like you have no purpose, then get with me for personal Bible study. Get with one of your elders or get with one of the other members because we could sit down with you, help you to understand what your focus should be, what your purpose should be, and then now you start to then realign your priorities with God's priorities and not your own. God always comes first in our lives as Christians. We voluntarily became uh, uh, bond servants of Jesus Christ. And because we voluntarily became bond servants, we give our life over in service to the kingdom, whatever that God calls us to do. Brethren, I want you to just think about 
uh, Solomon for a second as I close this down. If I look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it took Solomon years of sin and frustration. If you, if you know anything about King Solomon, he was a man who uh, had all knowledge, right, of all things. He was the most knowledgeable man on earth because he didn't ask for fame and fortune. He asked for wisdom. And God had made him the, most, uh, uh, you know, the person with the most wisdom at that time on earth. And he understood it took him years of sin and frustration to figure something out. And in Ecclesiastes 12 and 12 through 13, it says, But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. You see, brethren, Jesus instructed us to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all of our minds, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Brethren, in order to love your neighbor as yourself, then you need to have the type of love that is willing to maybe uh, put a relationship at risk. What do I mean by maybe putting a relationship at risk? I'm here to tell you today that if you're going to take Jesus out to any and all individuals, which you should, there are going to be those who are not going to want to know your Jesus. There are going to be some who are going to be offended that you even brought Jesus up in, uh, to them and in their lives. And so we understand, brethren, that Jesus says the word, the sword, the word of God is going to not only divide families, but friendships and relationships in general. Why? Because not all will want to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. But that's okay. Because Jesus said you dust your sandals off and you move on. And you continue, you continue to look for disciples. You continue to teach in order to make disciples. And eventually you're going to come across somebody that has eyes to see and ears to hear. And they're going to want to understand what the scriptures have to say about the love that God has for them. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And if he gave his only begotten son, what does that mean for you in your life? You see, brethren, if you're here today and you wish to become a baptized member of the church, you could do that because you receive the remission of your sins. You not only receive the remission of your sins, but God gives his Holy Spirit to reside within you. And then he picks you up out of the world and he sets you down, spiritually speaking, into the kingdom of his son. And when you're in the kingdom of his son, you're in Christ because you've been baptized into Christ through the likeness of his death and in the likeness of his resurrection. And so, brethren, if that is your desire here today, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.